God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are yours through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Back in my days at seminary, trained to be a pastor, there was one time where we took a field trip. It was a field trip to a prison, and not just the outside of the prison, to the inside of the prison, where they opened up the gates, they opened up the sliding doors, and guards were standing there, and we walked into the general, general population of prisoners, and it felt very strange as prisoners were walking by the side of you in the halls. But we weren't just there to walk around, take a tour. Instead, we, we sat down in a room, a conference room, it seemed, with two prisoners in front of us, two people who have done very bad things. And we got to ask them questions, and they got to explain why they were there. One man was there because he murdered a family member, because he was angry and upset. The other was there because he drove drunk. And he crashed into someone and killed a family. Both of them were sitting there, and, and they realized what they had done, and they realized what they'd done, earned the consequences of being in prison at that moment. And so as we talked to them, we saw how remorseful they were over their sinful actions, remorseful for what they had done, and we saw just how much they would have wanted their freedom. Both of them were members of our congregations at one point. And I believe they still are. Both of them talked about the freedom that they would love to have once they, they paid their debt to society and, and paid for their actions and finally got out to freedom to be themselves again. But as one of the administrators there explained, it rarely worked that way. Certainly they might get out at some point. They paid their debt. They complete their sentence. But when you go back to society, it's different. Walking out the doors and, and, and the world that you were once in, it was different. Not just because of the times, but because of who you are and what you have done and who people see you as. Suddenly, as you walk out, there's this big black mark on you that everyone sees. Maybe you could hide it for a while. Maybe people won't know, understand for a while who you are. But anytime you apply for a job, you have to mark down that I'm a convicted felon. Every time you talk to someone and they discover your past, all of a sudden it seems as if something's behind you saying, stay away from this person. They're evil, wicked people. Have nothing to do with them. And so often as it seems, people who leave prison find themselves in another prison, a prison of this world, all alone because of what they've done in the past. And it sticks with them and they carry that with them their entire life and people even hold it over them to the point where if they mess up just a little bit, they say, you changed not at all from where you were before. So while these two men sat in front of us explaining what they've done and explain how they've repented and explaining how one day they hope to be free, the administrator said it's going to be a long, hard road for them. Because we don't like to let go as people, right? We don't like to let go of things. We like to hang things over people's heads. We like to burden them with things because oftentimes we feel that's the best way to control who they are and what they do. Keep them in line. Well, today, 
That same thing goes for our sinful nature. We don't like to let go. There are things that people have done to us that we don't like to let go, not right away and, and over time. We hang on to them, we cling to them. So I'm going to ask you three questions, and if you could get through these without saying yes, then maybe you're someone who is able to let go. So, if someone did something bad to you and was punished, have you ever said, well, they deserve so much more punishment? If someone did something bad to you and they said, I'm sorry, you think to yourself, it doesn't matter that they're sorry. Have you done that before? What if someone did something to you years ago and you know what they've done and you know that person forgot completely about it and yet you hold it against them? Have you done that before? It seems as if we don't like to let go. It seems as if, even as Christians, we like to hang things over people's heads to burden them so that if they do something, we can pull this out and say, remember what you did at this time. You didn't change at all. But Paul today has a big problem with that. Our, God, our epistle lesson for today in 2 Corinthians, Paul explains a situation that a church is in that he, he finds has happened and he deals with this situation not only in 2 Corinthians, his second letter, but the 1 Corinthians. It seems as if someone caused the congregation a lot of grief. They did something, it doesn't say specifically, but they did something to the congregation that caused turmoil, that caused pain, that caused grief and problems. And Paul says, you got to let go. Now, we don't know what that grief was, but some people speculate it was what Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where this congregation dealt with the issue of incest. One of those sins that kind of really flashes a red flag and says something's the matter here. It's something that will certainly affect the character and how you view the character of someone who is actually committing this sin. And Paul, at that point, he says to the congregations, have nothing to do with this man. He is proud of his sin, and so expel him from your congregation. And he even says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. This man had a problem. And Paul saw it was affecting the congregation in a big way and it was affecting the man in a big way that it was separating him from the love of God. And so he said to them, this is what you do. He's not repentant. Send him away from you. Expel him from your congregation because of what he has done to show him that what his sin does is separates him from his God and his people. But the tone Paul took in his second letter to the Corinthians changed. Completely different. Even though this man caused so much grief for this congregation, even though this was, would have been a black mark not only on the man but the congregation itself, Paul changes his tone and he says this, to the Corinthians. 
on my page here. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. There must have been a change. If it was this man that we're talking about, there must have been a change because it seems as if this man has come back to the congregation and he said, I'm sorry. I confess my sins and I'm repentant of my sin. I want nothing to do with that life anymore. I come back to you because I know and I realize what I have done is wrong. But what would happen if someone like that walked into our doors? It might be like a prisoner walking out of prison, still finding himself alone. Because even though he confessed and even though he repented and even though he knows that what he has done is completely out of bounds, yet certainly he'll see the looks that people give him. Because isn't that black mark still sitting there? Especially for those people who know what he's done. Maybe he'll hear whispers around him talking about him and and the, the thing that he's gone through. And so it's like a burden on his shoulders. Certainly people will act differently around him. Maybe they'll, they'll pull their children away from him and all of a sudden you find this man finds himself in a prison with so many people around him alone. But that's what we do. Our sinful nature does. It holds a burden on people. It holds guilt on people. It holds them accountable for what they have done and and it never forgets. And yet, Paul, he changed his dialogue and he says, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in, in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. The book of James, chapter 5, 16, says... Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. You know how countercultural that is? That you would share your sins with the person next to you? We hear that passage and, we, and when we process it for just a moment, we say, that's ridiculous. Why would I share my sins with people around me who I know are going to hold that over my head? Why would I share my dark secrets with people? Because I I know that that black mark will be put on me and people will look at me differently and whisper about me and look at me strange. Why would I ever do something like that? Well, the very reason we say that is the very reason Paul is writing this letter. Because we've forgotten something. We've forgotten the goal of correction. We've forgotten the goal of discipline. We've forgotten forgiveness. 
The world is not so easy to forgive. But here Paul makes it clear, forgive. Even if you forgive, I have forgiven. It's as if I have done it myself. And when forgiveness is there, don't worry about punishing him anymore. Don't let him come into into your assembly and think that he is somehow now still an outcast because of what he has done. He says, reaffirm your love for him. Welcome him with joy. Comfort him. Why? Because he's been crushed already. He's faced the difficulty, the challenge of his sins when he heard God's law in his life and he struggled with that and he says, I'm sorry. Why go on punishing him, Paul says. That's the worst thing that you can do. You know why people don't admit to something even up to the last moment? Because forgiveness isn't there. Because comfort and joy isn't there. It seems as if we live in an era where it's a total loss when you confess your sin. If someone confesses something, that's the end of your career. That's the end of you and your family. That's, that's the end of your good reputation. And it's as if you have to start all the way over from square one and build yourself up. And if you mess up just once, then you start over again because that black mark's there. But Paul here says, once they have suffered, once they have undergone their punishment, forgive, comfort, bring them joy. Just a little illustration. When you buy things online, oftentimes there are promotions that come afterwards. Usually promotions that say, free something or other. Whatever it is. A few times I, I thought I wanted that free thing, and so I clicked the button and I followed the link and I started signing up. And I put my name in, and all of a sudden it gets to the point where make sure you put your credit card information in. I'm thinking, how is that free? How is it free if I had to put my credit card information in? And I've learned not to click on those things, <laughs> right? I don't get what I want, and so I'm not going to go there. Same thing with this whole forgiveness thing. If we're not giving people joy and comfort and forgiveness at the end of this process, why would they even go there? Why would even someone be willing to admit their sin? Why up to the last moment would they even consider tarnishing their name And you see where that's left us. People burdened with their own sin. Small sin that grows into bigger sin, that grows into bigger sin, and all of a sudden you have real problems in your life. All because punishment never stopped. But this is what God said to us. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. That's a plea by God to to lay our sins before him, not not because he doesn't know what they are. He knows our sins. But as we lay our sins before him, as we confess our sins, as we realize what we have done wrong, he's there waiting with his forgiveness. He's there waiting with his comfort. 
And every time we lay our sins, he reassures us of that same joy, comfort, and forgiveness of sins. And says, it's no longer yours. It's no longer yours because I have taken your sins and I have pinned them on the cross. And I've taken something from the cross and I've pinned it on you. Jesus' holy life, that's yours. His innocence, his righteousness, that's yours. And so when you stand before God on judgment day, he doesn't see pinned on you the burden of your sins and guilt. You see pinned on you Christ's righteousness and forgiveness. That's what's so amazing about this gospel. That's our bottom line in this all. It's not to cleanse our church of wicked people. It's to bring people, wicked people into our congregation so that they may be cleansed by Christ and his blood. And so how can we do that if we don't model the same forgiveness and the same example that Christ has done for us? Who are we to stand in judgment before anyone when we ourselves are sinners? Are we to stand in the place of God? This is what Paul continues by saying. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Satan worked on that man that we talked about in 1 Corinthians. He led, them, led him into sin. But Satan was playing a bigger game here. He wasn't just dealing with this one man. He was playing a game of congregation versus Paul versus Christ. He wanted that man to walk into that congregation. And he wanted every single person there to keep punishing him for what he had done. And he wanted that congregation to listen to Paul's words and say, why would we ever change our minds? Why would we ever show joy and comfort to this man for what he's done? It's despicable. And you see how Satan begins to separate Christians from each other. You see how Satan begins to separate Christians from Christ in the most valuable bottom line of forgiveness of sins. That's why Paul encourages us. When punishment's done, it's done. Our goal as Christians in discipline, in confessing our sins to each other and praying for one another, our goal is that forgiveness of sins and the comfort of salvation in Christ Jesus. I don't know if those two prisoners will have a good life once they leave prison. I pray that they do. I pray that, that God has changed their hearts and changed their attitudes, changed the attitudes of those around them who are willing to forgive. But I also pray for us that our attitudes too change, looking always for the forgiveness at the end of the tunnel, not looking to punish, not looking to burden, not looking to, to bend people's will by, by the things that we have on them, but pushing, to, pushing them to forgiveness pushing them to comfort. Because that is what Christ has done for us after all. Pushed us towards himself to see how much he loved us, that he was willing to die for us. 
May that attitude grow in our lives today and every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please stand. We continue by confessing our faith with the words of the Nicene Creed printed for you on page 6 in your bulletin. We confess our faith. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He was suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian apostolic church, we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.